Before we start the show, I just wanted to mention that my game Invino Morte will be coming to Kickstarter from Button Shy Games next Tuesday, August 29th. It'll be part of the Hero Tech Kickstarter along with Kintsugi. So if you're interested, go check that out. Now, on to the show. Welcome to episode 19 of the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson, and I'm here with Joseph Z. Chen, Brian Compter, and Bez is back. So let's start with Joseph. Introduce yourself to the audience, please. Hi, so I'm Joseph. I live in the Seattle area, and I'm the designer for Fantastic Factories, which is an unpublished game that I've been working on for about a year and a half now. It's a worker placement engine building game, and recently it won the uh, Northwest Lucy Award for Best Design back in June, and I'll also be at PAX West with Indie Mega Booth. Cool. And Brian. Hi, I'm uh, Brian, uh, an aspiring amateur in the board game design arena uh, in the Boston area. Uh, my game, uh, Displacement, uh, won the worker placement contest at the Game Crafter a while back. And uh, uh, working with that and a couple other uh, designs in different areas, uh, different uh, different uh, levels of, de- of development, and uh, just having fun playing games. Cool. And Bez, for people that weren't listening last episode. M. Well, I'm the designer of the forthcoming Gyogi, which is going to be available at Gen Con, but it's officially hitting in September from Jigamic. And from myself, I published recently Wibble++, the deck of 26 letters and countless games, and I keep working on new stuff, hopefully to bring you fun. Awesome. Well, let's get right into our topic, which is worker placement. So I'm going to start with a very basic definition. To me, worker placement games are any game where you place a worker on a space to get an action. Although I think even that can maybe be twisted in certain versions. It's really just a form of action selection. And usually... Someone taking a space blocks that from someone else, although even that isn't necessarily always the case. So, how do you all feel about worker placement? Who wants to start? Well, certainly it's one of my favorite mechanics as far as board games is concerned. I mean, uh, I love games like Zolkin, uh, Orleans, Caverna. Uh, I love the uh, the mechanic and, and the kind of really thinky uh, strategies that it... That it uh, that forces you into it really tickles that right part of my brain um and really glad i got the chance to kind of work with that in the worker placement contest that the game crafter made a while back uh really enjoy the enjoy the mechanic yeah i think what's interesting about worker placement is there's a lot of tension you know without direct conflict players have to hope that the the spot they want is still open by the time it comes to their turn but at the same time, you're not directly attacking anyone easier. So it's a very common mechanic in Euro-style games. So it's interesting, too, that you know while there might be a spot that you want uh, really badly, depending on the strategy, you might actually go for a spot that is more highly contested rather than what you want. So it creates a lot of interesting uh, strategies in worker placement games. I think Chris said it really well when he said it's action drafting. And I think that any drafting system just really 
challenges your thoughts because you've got to work out which of these things are most important to me and which of these things are most important to someone else and whether that's pick and pass or worker selection I mean worker placement I mean it's all about it's all very highly interactive and it's all you know a constant puzzle and evaluation it's really fascinating yeah the interesting thing is most worker placement games have a mechanism for changing who the first player is which in worker placement is incredibly important because usually the person who goes first gets the best choice of actions can you think of any games where that's not the case well in manhattan project energy empire which i played recently um, it's fairly asynchronous in that, yeah, you're placing these things one by one, but then when you actually retrieve the workers, is up to you. And so I, I guess you could say that that's a case of allowing you to change who's the first player because you get to choose when you're taking off your things, but it's done in a very tangential way. Interesting. I was, I was going to think about how about Zulkin, because being the first player does have an advantage and a disadvantage. So it kind of twists it a little bit. You are placing first on a dial, which actually gives an opportunity to later players to go ahead of the dial on you to possibly get to a better slot, a, a better worker place sooner than you would. So there's a kind of a automatic balancing uh, mechanic in that. True, true. Yeah, and I think in general, most games, in order to be balanced, there has to be some way to offset that first turn uh, advantage, whether that might be taking one of your actions to claim the first place the next turn, or um, in game a game like Alien Frontiers, where you're actually leaving workers on and only taking off your workers and repositioning them, uh, there's a small uh, resource advantage for players that go later in turns they just simply just start with more resources even in my game displacement it's more of a blind bidding kind of worker placement so you're placing workers with variable strength on the board on the places where you value and there's multiple uh goods for uh, in each location so but you're still competing at the with everyone else everyone gets a chance to place their workers as well and they might uh put more you know more str agent strength in their particular on lo that location which actually would rob you of, of the uh resources that you were expecting on your turn so there's a couple different ways you know, i think another uh, more popular game aladdin's dragons that does also kind of the same thing as well where you're kind of bidding with your workers to get the first pick, um, but you could still be outbid. You know, going there first doesn't block the space for other players per se. So it's interesting. So uh, in my game, Fantastic Factories, it's a worker placement game, but it's in a way a very unconventional one because players actually take their turns simultaneously, and uh, there isn't that tension of where people can take your spots because it's a, also a tableau building game where you're building a tableau of your own factories that you can place workers on. Uh, so it eliminates some of that tension, but so there's no advantage for going first, but it, there's also a puzzling aspect. You know, everyone has to figure out where the best place to place their limited amount of workers. Interesting. How do you get it to work real time? 
Well, there's one half of the turn that is real time and another half that it, there's a drafting phase. So that's kind of where a lot of the interaction happens. But during the, uh, play, the worker placement uh, phase, it's more about the puzzle aspect, kind of figuring out where to place your workers because the, your workers are also dice and your dice values matter. Some workers require matching pairs, some require like a specific value. And there are also cards that let you manipulate the dice rolls, so a lot like Alien Frontiers. So in that sense, it's a very unconventional worker placement game, and it actually plays more like a puzzle. I wanted to um, mention Waggle Dance by Mike Knott. I don't know if any of you guys have played that. I've heard of it, but I've not played it. Um, it's... A really nice one. Um, I mean, I'm going to admit to my bias that I know the designer, Mike Nod, because he's local, but it's actually through the game that I met him. And basically, you've got so many workers. He starts off with, I think, eight bees, and then you've got this bag full of, I don't know, maybe 16. And so it's one of the very few games I've seen where you actually have access to more workers than you'll want to actually create during the course of the game. But because you have so many workers, and yes, there is the blocking isn't so much in um, the spaces necessarily. It's more, I guess it's kind of worker placement because you, the face of the die determines where you can put it, mixed with a bit of various control because of six different areas um, out of maybe, I don't know, 36 or something. Six of the main pollen areas are somewhat area controlly, but because there are so many places to go and because there's always something you can do, the first player doesn't matter quite as much in a way. And in that game, it simply rotates. And it doesn't feel like it should work, but it does. Because, yeah, I feel like um, just having more actions and more things to draft from, um, by virtue of that, and having also some cards that you can get, you're never going to feel too aggrieved by being the last player. So do you feel that that game has less of the tension that traditional worker placement games have of I need to get that spot and the tension is more in another aspect? Um, well, I feel like the tension comes about in um, maybe the middle of each turn because you're rolling all these dice and then so for every, so there's maybe, I don't know, eight things you can do for each thing, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. And so there's no difference between the numbers. Six is not better than one, except that six can be placed on the six spot and one can be placed on the one spot. And so it comes in the middle where you're, oh my God, I need one of those places and I've only got a one and a two left. And it's actually in the middle of the turn where you can be blocked because you've got few enough workers that you no longer have access to place your things wherever you want. And so someone else noticing that can then block you in the middle of the turn. 
rather than just the start of the turn. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's interesting. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, I remember it's, it's very highly regarded. It had very lots of good critical reviews the last time I looked it up. So, building off of that, let's let's swing back to basic worker placement. Cuz I've long thought that worker placement is a great place for new designers to start. I feel like it's a very straightforward mechanic that can like look at Lords of Waterdeep. It's an engaging game, although rather basic on the level of worker placement, but I think it's it's a nice mechanic because you you take a worker, usually a meeple, and you place it on a space, and it it has that very straightforward feel to it. But uh, but it can also be twisted in many many ways and end up with things like dice placement and Zulkin, which breaks my mind every time I play it. What do you guys feel about that? I think the reason why it's <clears throat> such a great kind of mechanic to put into a simple design is that it creates a lot of that interaction and tension kind of automatically for you out the, out the door. I think sometimes a lot of some games, especially Euro games, can struggle to create meaningful interaction. Uh, and doing worker placement naturally kind of gives you that scarcity of spots that creates that tension that makes the game uh, more difficult and gives you that kind of decision making that you need to do. And then it's easy to kind of evolve that design to say uh, add extra workers or add different functionalities to different spots. And if you want to add a new mechanic or a new something to your game, you just add another worker spot. I think to to go back to the uh, you know the worker placement being a good mechanic for new new designers that 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 probably does ring true in a lot of different ways, uh, not the least of which is that it really it really fits thematically in a lot of different ways when it it makes very it makes sense to have workers doing work grabbing resources and that fits in so many different genres. Um, you know, Lords of Waterdeep is you have you're getting these adventurers and the adventurers are succeeding are accomplishing quests. I mean, it feels so natural. It feels like, well, of course, that's how it should work. And that does, uh, it probably feels right in a lot of different ways and a lot of different themes. Um, it, can, it can be a little bit easier to melt that into a, into a particular idea. Yes. Yeah, I think that's um, so true, Brian. I mean, you've got Energy Empire, which where your workers are literally just... The intangible energy as you go on and then or it can be bees and waggle dance or farmers or anything and um as you say i think that just this sense of growth and i for me agricola was the first one that i played where i really felt a connection to the people because they can starve and you're growing them and getting more children i felt you know, a really strong narrative here. And yeah, it does offer a theme and you don't, you can make some really small changes and it's a really small framework. So yeah, sure. But I don't think it's right to say this is the one thing that you should do. Like, 
sorry, maybe I'm being a bit pedantic here, but I just think that there's, it's all about what you feel passionate about. And if you enjoy worker placement, or then, yeah, go for it. And there's, you can even invert it and be worker displacement, as Brian calls it, or, yeah, all sorts of other draftings. True, true. So I've got a question on Twitter from a listener. Rick Lorenzon asks, about the concern some have over how realistic action drafting feels, does it represent real-world situations, or is it more of a convenient mechanic? So what do you think about worker placement representing real-world mechanics, or real-world situations, I guess? I think Brian had it correct. You know, it feels very natural. It, it There's a natural kind of corollary to real life because you only have so many people and they can only do so many things. And so I think that's why it works well as a mechanic that matches easily with a lot of different themes. So when you put it in terms of a worker placement kind of mechanic, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm, I find that's a really baffling question. Because I was thinking about how work replacement kind of, you know, it epitomizes the whole working together as a community. It's like, okay, you go do this, you go do this, and then we'll come back together and share our food. And, yeah, and, I mean, I feel like for a grit club does actually have a really good theme. And, yeah, there's a lot of other nice things going on, like the plantation and the growing of the crops but for me it is the worker placements and the fact that you're attached to your family and everything that really makes it work i don't quite understand them um, where why that's kind of providing a greater disconnect than other mechanics yeah i feel like worker placement yeah worker placement fits in a lot of different situations where you know something like the Mancala mechanic kind of feels a lot, a lot more divorced from the theme and, and games where that is used. Looking at you, Trajan. Yeah, I think... Uh, so, <clears throat> like, if you think about other mechanics, like uh, dice rolling or card drafting or whatever, you think about the name, uh, the description. I mean, those are abstract kind of thing. Cards are kind of abstract uh, things that don't represent they try to represent things in the real world but you think about worker placement worker is actual thing so i think the fact that the mechanic itself almost describes itself uh, thematically is kind of an indication that it it can naturally be attached to a theme yeah i mean mechanically you could achieve the exact same thing as worker placement if you had and i mean traditional worker placement a hand of cards and the first player picks a card and then that card is no longer available for the second player to pick you don't need meeples you don't need a board and that would do the same thing but it wouldn't have the same thematic grasp that placing a worker has so i think to a degree it's partially a theme and less of a mechanic in itself well there certainly are probably some downsides right to it and, and i was thinking about what you all were saying because it is such a like a natural mechanic, right? Of, you know, you're placing the physical worker to do the work to get you the stone or the gold or whatever it is. The mechanic itself then kind of lends itself to being uh, a more of a simulation, and a lot of times that can lead you. I feel like it leads you down the wrong road. 
uh, at time. I mean, in, in, depending on the situation, of course, but uh, making a, a pure simulation of life is not the same as making a good game in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, good simulations don't necessarily mean it's going to be a good mm -hmm. game. Yeah, I think one of the things that you see, I feel like, in thematic games is that when you're playing, you represent yourself, your character, your avatar, or whatever. In worker placement, you're, you manage a team of workers. So you're a little removed from the kind of the inner workings of the game because you seem feel like you're managing people rather than throwing yourself 100% in as well. So I think that's often why you see worker placement games in kind of Euro style rather than uh, rich th thematic games. Well, it's like you're the chieftain. I mean, you might not be one of the little workers that you place, but you are the chieftain and... So yeah, that's true. I mean, there are definitely a lot of ways you can tie your mechanics to themes, but I think that's one reason why it's just a little more difficult. Well, I mean, now this is kind of going off the rails, but you could make the argument that a lot of thematic games are really worker placement games. So like a dungeon crawl, you have to move your worker into the room to perform the action of picking up the treasure. Right. In that case, you only have each player controls one worker though, right? Uh, it depends on the game. There, are, there's some dungeon crawls where you control the team. That's true. Isn't that getting more towards like just action point allowance, like pandemic? I mean, is there really a difference when it comes down to it? I was thinking about that before the show. How, um, yeah, I feel like worker placements. There's something, a requirement that the placements of the worker needs to be relatively simple, because if you put start putting obstacles in the way of the placements of the worker then you know it becomes about the worker growth or the worker movement whereas worker placement is you know almost ironically not about how you get to place these workers but it's just about where you place them yeah i definitely mm. agree with that it almost feels like it almost feels like a, a particular implementation of like a class of mechanics it's almost like, um, you know, do you, should you pick a pie chart, a bar, a line chart, or a bar chart? You know, you know, you could consider drafting like a worker placement with one worker. Uh, and there's just a lot of different ways you can kind of slice and dice it. And some ways just are more intuitive. And I think uh, calling like a dungeon crawl worker placement obviously is not as intuitive as if you did worker placement with uh, Lords of Waterdeep. I was going to say that, uh, you know, there's more than a few games that do perfectly well with only a single worker per, you know, which is probably more like action selection in a way. Things like Lahav or I think also uh, Raiders of the Lost Sea. Uh, or, I may have gotten that name wrong, but I think they they have a worker exchange system in that game. But it's still as if you only really control one worker at a time. So I brought it up a couple of times, but Zulkin is... An incredibly complicated game to me. Uh, it might be my favorite worker placement game, but it's got a couple of unique twists. One of which is you don't get the action until you remove your worker, 
and obviously the big one is that all of the worker spots are spinning around on gears, so you really have to plan ahead for your actions. Ev, who has played Zulkin before? I've played Zulkin. I have played lots of it. Uh, I have not. Well, you really should. It's amazing. <laughs> I uh, There's uh, many games on my list of games to try. It's, it, it's funny, I... I uh had it on my shelf for a year because I refused to play it until I had uh, painted all the gears. <laughs> that's that's unnecessary. <laughs> but highly satisfying. Oh, I don't doubt it. I mean, it, it really, it introduces, and I think this is, I mean, I'm sure another game has done something like it because nothing is completely original at this point, but it's really the timing aspect of it. Like, um, the removing your worker to get the action, that's done in quite a few games, and kind of changes things but the fact that every round the gear turns so your worker gets a little better the longer you wait but you're also restricted from waiting too long because on your turn you have to either place a worker or remove a worker so once you run out of workers to place you have to pull something off and you can you can really get yourself into trouble if you mistime something and you're off by a space or your opponent grabs the thing you were going to grab and it's it's quite a brain burner for me it certainly is a strategy overload which is one of the reasons i really like it everything is interconnected and especially as i said kind of before you know being first isn't it, it, you can actually help your opponents by letting them take a higher spot in the gear when they really need it it's very interesting mechanics and the whole thing comes together to to, to really make a uh, a strategic challenge and also uh, I feel like it's exploration there's a lot of strategies to explore in it there's a lot of different ways to combine to get victory points and it feels very satisfying at the end and it never feels like it takes as long as it it does because you're always thinking you know two three turns ahead because you have to plan that much in order to make sure you have enough corn to feed your people you have the resources you need to buy the monuments in time or to get the crystal skulls but before you get past that spot on the gear it's definitely a wonderful game i've unfortunately only played it once but that was you know enough to see that there the thing about it is you could the gears make it so much easier for all the bookkeeping because you don't need to think okay We'll move everything along. You don't need to think, okay, we'll put more things into these spaces. You just shimmy them over a little bit and all the other gears turn as well, which is such a wonderful design, both in how, you know, the function, like, you know, the physicality of the product kind of meshes with the design of the game and the rules. And I think that's brilliant. But yeah, it's just, genius and there's so much going on I'm sure you know it would take me a quite a few plays to scratch that properly oh definitely that's it's a good point it's it really it's a it's a mechanism the timing that could have been done another way but doing it with the gears is so elegant and also visual so it gives it that table presence and simplifies what would be an immense amount of bookkeeping like you said but it also, Brian, you mentioned a wonderful part of worker placement games, feeding your workers, which I am generally not a fan of, but it's quite popular. Workers have to eat or they're not going to work. So how do you guys feel about feeding your workers? Well, when I played Agricola, it was very stressful feeding my family. 
I think uh, I probably made a couple mistakes and my family went hungry a couple times. But uh, it's I think it's a natural way to kind of inhibit someone from uh, gaining too much of an advantage. Because usually when you have a lot of workers, it means you can do a lot of things as well. Which means you can potentially snowball the game. But you can also be held back by having to maintain or feed your workers. So I think it's a great way to allow players to feel like they're doing a lot of things, but also prevent them from running away with the lead. Yeah, and it, it's a it's an elegant way to balance things, and you need to have a balanced strategy. You can't just swarm with workers, and then you could just, you know, and, and do everything you need to. You need to balance it, or perhaps maybe add in some form of an engine building where you have to lay that foundation and be just ahead of uh, th that that resource uh, the resources to feed um, feed your people to make sure that everything is timed right is balanced right so that you can make the most efficient use of what you have when you have it uh, Stone Age probably does this a good way with their food uh, I forget what they're what they call it the wheat chart the food chart you uh, gain this uh, levels on this chart to automatically feed some of your people. So it becomes a little bit more efficient to have more workers later in the game. But you can't just uh, go immediately into it uh, or you'll just starve everybody and, and get negative points. I love um, kind of that risk and that, you know, that stress of thinking, oh, will I actually be able to feed all my people? Because otherwise, I mean, sorry, I don't want to knock the designers of games, but... Um, in Belfort, one slight shortcoming I felt was that it was too um, easy a move to just keep getting more workers until I'd max it out. And to my mind, I like games either when it's like Waggle Dance, where you've got more access to more workers than you will ever get. And if you get all the workers you can, yeah, you don't need to feed them, but by the time you do that, someone else will have won the game because it's essentially a race. But, or I like games where, like Agricola, where getting food can be a real struggle because certainly at the start, things that get you food directly are really scarce on the board and you need to have some sort of engine where you're maybe getting wheat to make into bread at a good conversion rate with an oven. And it's only once you've got something like that going that you really have the capability to max out your family. And yeah, in that game, the um, birth only comes along later. And it's something that by that time, hopefully everyone wants to go for. But it just, to my mind, it adds a little bit more tension. And it's a really interesting source of tension for mm -hmm. me. I think it adds a little bit of decision-making, too, because for worker placement, usually the obvious choice is, oh, get more workers. But if you if that's the cho obvious choice, then players aren't making real decisions. They're just simply pursuing what the optimal strategy is. So by putting that downside to getting more workers, it makes them think twice about whether they should be pursuing that now or later. Like, in a way, because you're saying that's the obvious choice... That's why I feel like, um, sorry to harp on about Mike Nod's game, but like that's why I feel like Waggle Dance is so brilliant because you've got this bag of more dice than you will ever need in this game. And if 
you will on if you ever get three quarters of those workers you're probably about to lose because other people will have started getting workers but at a certain point you need to stop getting workers and then actually go for the victory it's kind of like dominion in that way and to my mind that's a really interesting challenge where okay you start off getting workers and get building up your engine but then at a certain point you need to go for victory and when do you do that and i think that's a really another better my favorite way currently to get around that whole obvious issue of grabbing workers yeah i was just thinking the the feeding your workers mechanic tends to be tied to games where you can get more workers usually by an action space like um lords of Waterdeep, you automatically get extra workers in the later rounds but there's no action space to make more workers where Agricola, Zulkin, Stone Age, all of those have mechanisms where you can choose to get additional workers. So they seem to put in the feeding your workers as a countermeasure to hold people back from just going crazy with workers. Yeah, I was just going to mention kind of the same thing, you know, like Words of Waterdeep or any game that has a fixed number of workers, like Lahav would be a, a, another example. You really only have one worker. Um, you know, there's no, you know, you don't have a, well, actually, that's probably a bad example because Lahav, you do feed your people. They're just abstracted in a different way. Interesting. Okay. Pretty good I said that. Chris, why do you not like feeding your workers? Uh, it feels it feels like excessive upkeep to me. Like, I understand the tension of it, and, like, it is a good counterpoint to getting extra workers, but just, I don't know, I want it to be a little more streamlined. Or maybe it's just because the first time I played Zulkin, I went for six workers right away and starved everyone and lost a lot of points. Yeah, that can hurt with uh, without the right building. I, I find it's a little stressful, you know? Like, it's a little too real, you know? You gotta feed your people. And it's like it's like one of those things that, you know, when you play, when you play a game, you kind of want to have to... You want to be transported somewhere. You don't have to worry about this thing. Imagine, like, if you're playing Call of Duty or something and you have to eat. Like, that's not really necessarily part of the game obviously in a game like agricola that's very much part of the game but sometimes i feel it creates a lot of stress when you'd rather be worrying about something else i guess like in stone age or agricola i guess where subsistence and survival is what the game is all about i think that it works beautifully and it adds to the kind of thematic engagement for me but I think that, yeah, there's a lot of people who maybe do it without thinking, is this the correct move? Because also, if you can, let's say you've got to feed all your workers, but there's enough um, spots that give you enough food for two workers that you'll always be able to put someone there. In that instance, it doesn't take away the issue that grabbing a worker isn't, you know, is a non-decision. I'm, so I'm just kind of using a hypothetical example, pointing out that it's all about um, having that upkeep be a real cost, but also be thematically intertwined with the game, I guess. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I think it can also be used as a, uh, a motivator for interaction and for different strategies. I mean, look at Caverna. 
I played a, a, a more than a few games of Caverna, and I don't think I've ever really had a hard time feeding my people in Caverna. It's just a matter of what would I have to give up in order to make sure everyone is fed. It's always easy. It's always a there's always a, a, a path to do it, but it's a matter well then that means I can't get this stone that I want to do something else with later. I have to wait just a little bit longer to make sure that I feed my people. And that can influence the strategies and influence the interaction. You know, it's better to take the, the food in the first player marker now rather than wait for, you know, a more uh, abundant action selection later. Yeah, it also, I mean, depending on the design, can add a way to interact with other players if there's a limited supply of food it becomes kind of a game of chicken of how long can i wait before i grab the food so someone else doesn't grab it so on the line of feeding your workers uh worker placement game i worked on in the past and i'm starting to dig out of the mothballs i don't feed the workers but instead i have players hire the workers at the beginning of their turn which is essentially the same thing you still have to get the resource to have your workers but it feels different to me thematically. And I'm, I think having it at the beginning of the turn is it's a little different because you're not losing a worker if you can't feed them or getting penalized. You just can't get extra workers if you can't afford it. So are the action spaces always the same every turn? Or is there opportunity for, say, you know, I really want two more workers on turn five versus turn four? Yeah, the... Action spaces are the same for... It's a mining game, so the uh, the results of the spaces can vary, but the uh, the spaces themselves don't change. So I'm quite interested in the mechanical differences. Like, I mean, if you are paying someone and you can't pay them, do they go away forever, and then do you have to go on to a new spot to get them back? The way it works is at the there's a round of bidding for workers at the... the at the start of each round. Um, so the way it's set up is to get more workers, it costs more money per worker. So for like two coins, you can get one worker, but for five coins, you can get two workers. So it, uh, and it's a single pool of workers. So there's a lot of tension. If you spend the money, you can buy up all the workers and then the other players don't have access to as many actions that round. But to really buy everything out, you're going to have to dump all of your money and lose the game. So it's, a, it's an interesting tension, but it's... And then every round, you basically you lose all your workers and have to hire new workers again. So you want to make sure you have enough money to do the number of actions you need on the next round, and it becomes a balance of saving stuff up for bigger turns and cashing stuff in quickly so you can pay your workers, which essentially feels the same as having to feed your workers because you have to slow down your turn and get some wheat instead of getting all the stone you wanted. That sounds really cool. It, it sounds like you've kind of injected a new mechanism. So you are kind of interspersing the worker placements with this new little auction almost for getting those workers. I just have to get the rest of the game to work. <laughs> I think there's... yeah. A little less tension though because i think not being able to buy something like hire an extra worker is less of a bad thing than having one of your workers starve i guess if that makes sense it's kind of like and you know like so if you you basically made a promise 
and then you won't be able to fulfill it. Whereas not being able to hire a worker is just simply something you weren't able to do. And so I think it mechanically works very similarly, but the stakes are a little lower, I guess. And it, it, you feel less bad about not being able to hire a worker versus not being able to feed one of your workers. I think that's part of the reason I like it. It's not quite as mean to me. Yeah, imagine like if you're doing one of these worker placement games where you have to feed feed family and you take the last spot where someone else needed food and you're basically you're the cause of their family starving. So <laughs> I I guess it relieves some of that tension when you're hiring workers rather than trying to feed or prevent other people from feeding their families. But more than hopefully you feel bad after the game. But I mean, that does bring up the point of player engagement. I mean, different mechanisms factor into the theme differently, and that can that can change people's reaction. Like, you could have a player that would genuinely feel bad about taking that food from you, even if it's the smart play. So different different levels of games and different types of players can gravitate to different mechanisms. That's a good point. Well, we are closing in on the end of our show. Anyone have any other worker placement topics they would like to bring up? I think the... One of the more interesting things about worker placement or that you can do with worker placement is having different kinds of workers. I think a lot of worker placement games, all the workers are the same. But when you consider games like dice placement or um, I think uh, Raiders of the was it North Sea also have different kinds of workers, I think it opens up a lot of interesting options. That's a good point. I know um, Groves from... Actually, Ladyman Games, who did the contest Brian was in, and and I was in too. I got second place to Brian. So close, right? But um, sorry about that. Yeah, Groves has an interesting one. It's the workers are they match certain spaces, but you can use any worker on any space. But if they match, you get a bonus. Hmm. It's kind of like uh, Age of Empires, I think. Right? I'm not sure. I'll believe you. <laughs> I, it's been a while since we played, but yeah, so it, it really you w- want to invest in certain kinds of workers to pro, uh, to uh, push forward your strategy. But uh, if you need to shift gears, you can still use the workers in a, a suboptimal way, but you can have some flexibility with that. Yeah, I think the like the workers tied to spaces, or in stricter cases where oh you have to use a certain worker for a space, it really opens up the game to um, really focusing on strategies, which can be interesting. So like early game, you can decide I'm going gray workers because I want to do the stone strategy or whatever it is. So as opposed to more general worker placement where you it's more fluent as you fluid as you go. And uh, so it's an interesting thing where you could really dive heavily into a certain strategy. And then part of the other player interaction could be preventing you from that particular strategy if you're mm-hmm. already too deep. And it really creates kind of a puzzle because in normal worker placement, you are trying to figure out the best order in which to place your workers. But now when you have different kinds of workers, you also have to figure out which, not only which order and where, where to place, but which worker to place as well. So I think it's really important to have, as you said, those suboptimal ways to place the workers. I was playing um, a prototype of, I think it was Keeper, um, with Richard Breeze. And yeah, in that one, it's 
another where you've got about eight different types of workers, all of whom do different things. But you can use them in what you'd call a bad situation if you want. And it's really important that part of the game skill is being able to decide when should you do that and having times that you want to do that. Because if you only ever want to use your workers in the way that they are optimally meant to be used, then that kind of narrows down the decision tree a bit too much and kind of makes can make it feel a bit too restrictive and obvious. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I really like, uh, just I mean, in terms of wrapping up, um, one of the reasons I really like worker placement is that there seems to be a lot of room for design experimentation. There's a, you know, we see that in the diversity of different worker placement games uh, that we have now and, and hopefully that we will have in the future. Um, I've been just on top of my mind has been finding a way to get a game where the workers actually change, like they can be upgraded somehow or change to do different things for different players at different times. Um, another idea I have is where, um, and I, I've done some research on similar games that do something like this where nobody actually controls their own workers. Like it's a, some type of community pool of workers that everybody has access to. Um, kind of, and so that's just two kind of random ideas uh, that are on the top of my mind that I'd love to actually make into a real game sometime later if, you know, if I didn't have any, a thousand other ideas going. That sounds interesting. So one last worker placement aspect I like to go into is the number of spaces available on the board versus the number of workers. I know some games, they keep it very tight, so the number of spaces is equal to or possibly even less than the number of workers. And others, the board's wide open, there's plenty of spaces, so you always have something to do with your worker. But I think if the board is too wide open, you lose a lot of tension because you don't feel like you have to beat the other players with your worker. But if you make it too restrictive, you can run into the issue where a player has a turn where they can't do anything they want to do and they feel like it's kind of wasted. Yeah, you can't have dead turns in any way, shape, or form. You know, uh, I think one game that does this well probably would be Kalis because the number of worker places is actually dictated by the players themselves. They're actually building these buildings along this road. And at the same time, not all of them will actually activate. It depends on the position of uh, a piece on the board called the bailiff, which is actually controlled by the by the players as well. They can influence it by a, there's one worker place, but also before all the worker places resolve, everyone has the opportunity to spend money that they have during the game to move this bailiff along the road. And uh, the, the worker places that are ahead of the bailiff will not actually activate. So anyone who put a worker on those places isn't going to get anything at all for them. Anybody behind the bailiff would be uh, uh, would get their resources. So that kind of puts a lot of tension, uh, a lot of control in the hands of the players to really dictate how many action spaces are actually going to uh, trigger. That can be so you can have very uh, dynamic games where you know sometimes you'll have an abundance of resources because everybody's pushing the bailiff out to so that every action space is going to activate. And other games that are very lean, where everyone's pulling it back, trying to play more aggressively, um, and kind of hassling each other mm -hmm. along the way. I think the most interesting interactions are when 
you have a variable number of workers and a variable number of uh, placements. So, I mean, just like Kalis, I mean, Lords of Waterdeep, you can build out, I forget what they're called, the buildings. And later in the game, as you'll get gain more workers, although you have very little control over how many workers you can gain. Um, there's a game called Sailing Towards Osiris, which is an interesting one where uh, at the very beginning of the game, you only have access to spots in the earlier part of the river. And then as the game progresses, more and more spots open up. But at the same time, players are building monuments, and these monuments actually occupy, permanently occupy spaces. Uh, and sometimes they only occupy half the space and makes uh, the other half space available, but you get significantly fewer resources from it. So it puts the power of like how many workers you have and how many spaces and what spaces are available in the, the hands of the players and creates for a lot of very interesting interactions and, and makes each game a lot different. I think it's crazy how worker placements is basically just you know, a flavorful justification for drafting a bunch of things, which is a really mechanical system. But then in having this thematic justification, all these new, you know, mechanisms emerge, like the whole feeding of the workers and growing all the workers. And I mean, you have the upgrading of the workers, a little bit of that in Belfort. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that arise, like the growing of the buildings that you only get because you've got this board and these meeples that you put there and i think it's a wonderful thing and, and there's a spatial continue. element to it as well you know when it's no longer a card drafting or whatever you're putting people on the board i think that's something that's very easy for people to visualize and when you have a visual element a lot of different kind of variations and mechanics can come up as well all great points but we are out of time now so Let's end this with uh, where people can reach you and what you're working on, anything you got coming up. Let's start with Bez. Well, on Twitter, I am Stuff by Bez. On um, Instagram, I'm Stuff by Bez. My website is Stuff by Bez. And on Facebook, because they don't let you put the F and the B next together in your name, I'm Things <laughs> by Bez. Didn't know that. It's true. And Brian. Yeah, so you can reach me on Twitter. I'm uh, at uh, Scrapyard Armory. And also I hang out a lot on the, the Game Crafter chat room. So you'll find me there most days. Uh, and uh, yeah. And Joseph. Uh, so I'm on Twitter at, at Fan Factories and Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Fantastic Factories. And uh, I guess the next few conventions, if you're in the Pacific Northwest area, I'll be at Dragonflight and PAX West, and uh, eventually PAX Unplugged. Cool. And I am on Twitter at BlueCubeBGS, uh, my website, BlueCubeBoardGames.com. You can find the show at the BG Workshop on Twitter, and the website is TheBoardGameWorkshop.com, where you can find all the show notes and links for some of the things we mentioned today, depending on how many links I can actually find. So thank you all for coming on the show and thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.